0: What up, Sea of Red? You're listening to Into the Flames,
1: a Calgary Flames fan podcast. Your home for all things Flames and updates around the NHL. With your hosts, Raja Burry and Noah Eppleston. Into the Flames, new episodes every Sunday. He's like looking through all the budgeting for the past five years. He's like, you've sunk like... 300 million dollars into leadership metrics proprietary data what are you doing that's how they that's how they worked out their mike smith contract probably was based off of the the leadership statistics proprietary data
0: let's be real here holland still uses it too it's fine
1: oh absolutely he's using it as we speak right now to sign god knows who yeah, I, I shared this stat with you. I thought it was funny because a lot of the Oilers Twitter guys were like, "Oh, the only like, the old, like McDavid and Drysaddle and Bouchard still finished like top ten in scoring or whatever." And it's like, yeah, they're the only players who finished top ten in scoring who were also like negatives in terms of plus minus in the playoffs. It's like, how do you score? It's like that game where Drysaddle had four goals and was like plus one. Incredible, incredible.
0: You put this up on your story a while back, but you've got Chris Snow, God bless him, vice president of data analytics, David Johnson, database architect and analyst, Michael Charon, quantitative analysis, and then Hendrix Haynes, who you just brought in from Kitchener, developer and data scientist, dude smart, he's three years older than me, and he's already more accomplished. So we've got that going.
1: He's younger than me, and he's already more accomplished, so...
0: (laughs) and uh yeah so we've got a boost in the analytics department which is nice to know that we actually have one that's kind of being built yeah not stone age um you know what are all these numbers here don
1: well that tracks leadership and that tracks hits and those are really all that matters and that tracks how good you are in the room fun 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 for 60 it's like
0: I don't and, like this guy. His jokes per 60 metrics are down. He brings yeah, down with him.
1: That's how they hired coaches the past five years before they hired Daryl. It was for jokes per 60. That's right. <laughs> Speaking of coaches, how are we feeling about Huska? Yeah, like I'm going to be the old curmudgeon that's like, I, I'm i happy for him, sure. And he seems like a really smart guy, but it's, it's the same it's the same as I feel with Conroy. Not quite the same as I feel with Conroy, because you know it's Craig Conroy. I'm much more excited about Craig Conroy. Um, but it is kind of the same like wait and see. Like I'm firmly still in the in the wait and see camp, right? Like, um, because yeah, the press conference was good. They're saying all the right things, but I mean the press conferences are always good. It's like Glenn Galton was good. Everyone was like, Oh yeah, he's gonna be smart and he's gonna do a good job. And same with Bill Peters and and not same with Jeff Ward. I think everybody except Brad tree living knew that that was going to be a disaster, but it's just like, yep. Okay. Why is it going to be different? Same thing I said with Connor is like, how, why is this going to be different? Like, because you have so many examples of, um, recent examples, right? Gullison, Ward, Peters of all guys who came in and couldn't really bridge the gap between like, I would say maybe like amateur coach and legitimate, excellent NHL coach. And then, I mean, if you're if you're a longtime Flame fan, you have this history of like you can even go back to like Jim Playfair and, and, and even before that, like Greg Gilbert, like back in the day, like we've seen this happen before. Why is Huskin going to be different? And I mean, you can't. It's unfair to lay that on his feet and be like ascribe to him the failures of Glenn Gullitson and the failures of Jeff Ward and Jim Playfair and, and all these other guys who preceded him. That's not fair to him. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying, if you're a Flames fan and you're looking at this going like, yeah, I, I've i seen this play out before and it hasn't worked, I think that's a fair assessment. That's kind of where I'm at. Like I think he's a smart guy. I've liked what he's had to say, but it's just kind of like, well, let's see, I guess. like You have to prove it to me sort of thing and that seems like a cop-out and not great analysis but and it is kind of funny too like because it's kind of like when they announced it i was kind of like somebody tell me how to feel you know like the internet thing is like somebody why should we be mad or why should we be happy about this someone tell me either or i i really don't have any strong feelings one way or the other um i know a lot of people are upset it's not mitch love i the feeling i do have is i i think i'm glad it's huska over love um just you know i think he experience is a factor in this that i think is important but i i don't have one strong feeling the other one way or the other i i hope he can do a good job i think my my concern is more upstream as opposed to coaching so i mean like i think he's a good guy i hope i'm rooting for him i hope he absolutely fucking nails it out of the park but You know, you still have to ask the question, why is he, how is he going to be the coach who is like, makes it as an NHL coach when we've seen five or six other guys not do that?
0: It's also kind of ballsy because like a rookie GM hiring a rookie coach, first hire, like you don't, you don't see that. Um, I guess like based off of, if you look at like last four years, I guess, as an aggregate, the areas that were strong in regards to like, Five on five defensive metrics and the penalty kill, especially the last two years. Um, Huska straight up responsible for that. So you look at like certain areas of what he was in charge of, and even when he was like the head coach in Stockton, and that one year where they were in Adriondack,
1: <laughs> God, where even is that point? Like, it's in, eh. it's in New York, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, honestly, it's like way. Like I remember the the thing they always said about Stockton, because I always heard this. It was like, well, it is, right? Like you can look it up. Like one year it was like the murder capital of the USA. And it was like, it was like, holy shit, nobody wants to go to Stockton. (laughs) And like you have
0: that sort of I guess taking a look at guys like Shillington, Anderson, Manjapani, guys that he had when they were in the A. And like Anderson has been very public, too, about their relationship, how it started. Just looking at the strides that they've made and stuff, it's like he's had a hand in that. So I guess just looking at his history within the organization already, although it's like a limited history, pretty yeah. solid. I'm like a very glass-half-full type fan, even though I get hurt every year. It's really weird. Like, I keep wanting to believe that they finally figured it out and that I won't be going through 82 games of pain. And then it's like, no, just kidding. You're we're back to a year in year out again. Yeah. See, uh-huh. you're,
1: you're what I'd call the member of the family. I used to be there too. Like I described it as a, it's like a toxic codependent relationship, right? It's like the flames are the significant other who are always like engaging in terrible behaviors and, and cheating on us and doing all these terrible things. And we're always like, Hey, we're, I'm done. I'm done with you. We're done. We're done, and then they every single time, right? They come back. They're like, "We've changed. We've changed. Take me back, please. We've changed. I promise. This time, we've changed. It's not like the other ten times when when you dumped me and I said I've changed and you took me back and I hadn't changed. This time is different." And we're like, "Yes, it is different. I'll take you back." And then it's not different. So I understand.
0: Like, I hope he absolutely knocks that out of the park because I'm rooting for him. I feel like from an articulation standpoint, he seems to be. More articulate than Glenn Gulletson, just listening to him speak. I like went back and I was like, after the press, I went back and watched a few Gulletson interviews, and I was like, Huska inspired more confidence in the 35 minutes that he was on the podium than any sort of indication that Gulletson gave me over the two years that he was head coach. And I think a lot of it also has to do with the fact that, like, I think deep down, it's kind of crazy to say, but like I, I feel like deep down, Bulletson and Jeff Ward both knew they they were in way over their heads. Oh, totally.
1: So I, I didn't even think deep down. It was like you would see it. It was like it's like they'd have, they'd ask Jeff at a press conference like what went wrong, and he was just like, uh oh, compete level. Like use this poor guy, put him out of his misery."
0: Yeah, and just like seeing Huska talk about, I guess how he feels that he's finally earned it all that sort of talk about also implementing a culture, all that sort of thing, whatever that means. I just hope that I really liked his comment actually, about that fun outcry where he was like, listen, I'm not talking about fun as in going to an amusement park. Yeah. Like, still. Um,
1: well, yeah. But cause like, all the, all the reporters, right. They were at, they were like, Oh, cause they have Daryl syndrome where they think like the, the, uh coming to the rink should be an amusement park. Like they were so enamored when Ward was playing pr- music and handball in practice, and like all the questions were like, "How are you going to get the players?" Oh, the players need to have so much fun, and he's like, "Well, not really. Well, they don't. A professional sports guys." And yeah, I mean, I'm I'm
0: also in the wait and see camp, but I'm more inclined to want to be excited about it than not. Just even given the past track record, like this is this is not healthy. It's-
1: no, it isn't. Track
0: record. No, it He's isn't. Telling me the oh, evidence does not back it up, and I'm just like, Kool-Aid.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna feel bad for you when you're when it's you know two years into this, and it's like what a mess. And you're, I'm gonna say, i told you, well, I didn't tell you. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're making like a pros and cons list, it's like, yeah, I I agree with you, right? Like his track record in the organization, I think, is important, and I think that's maybe kind of what distinguished him from from Mitch Love, and I mean. Conroy kind of said as much pretty straightforwardly. And that was kind of my thing too. It was like, you know, like Mitch seems like the shiny new toy type type of guy, but like, and I heard Conroy talk about this as like, and I totally agree. It's like going from AHL to NHL, even as an assistant is like, so it's so, it's so different. It's such a different beast that I think throwing Mitch love into this situation, which, you know, last year was a bit of a, throwing him into a shit show would be, would be probably not great for anybody, right? Um, so uh, the fact he's worked with guys like Rasmus Sanderson, Oliver Schillington, like you're saying, I, I've i seen people say this too, like, oh, we shouldn't have hired another defensive coach. I think that to me is a huge, a huge plus, a huge plus that he, you know, like he he has, not only has he been in charge of the defense and in charge of the penalty kill and has really improved the penalty kill um, and under Daryl Sutter really improved how this team plays how this team defends and checks in its own zone um, learning from Daryl Sutter. I know some people think that's bullshit. I think that's huge. I think that's awesome. Whatever you think of Daryl, like a lot of his tactics are tried true and he's a great hockey mind. So I think that's a huge plus for me. And I mean, a, a lot of guys, cause I remember this with Bill Peters, right? Like he came in and implemented that like high flying system. Like, hey, hey, that was awesome to watch. Right. Like that was great, but they didn't really play defense and they got, absolutely murdered in not even that they didn't play defense, they didn't check very well. They weren't very good defending and they got absolutely run over by the Colorado avalanche. Right. So I think it's kind of easy if you're a coach and you want to come in and like, you know, get everybody on board and be like, Oh, we're going to be this high flying offensive team. We're just going to score, 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 score. It's like, yes, but then the playoffs come. And when does that ever work? Like, look at the Oilers. Look at all the high-flying, super-skilled teams who, not that they're bad at defense, but who just won the Cup. It's like Vegas. They have a great blue line. They're monsters at defending. You know, they play that really tight-checking type of hockey. Um, So I think having a guy who does have a sound grasp of the defensive end of the game and has a sound philosophy and a coherent philosophy and a philosophy that he wants to push onto the team of defense um, is really important. Um, So that's a plus for me. Another pro is, like you said, he does seem to have at least somewhat confidence in his own ability. And, you know, I think that probably comes with the fact that he does have, at least in, in junior, like a winning pedigree. Not an elite pedigree, but like the guy has won. He won a WHL championship with Kelowna in like 2009. And I think as an assistant coach at Kelowna, he went to the Memorial Cup like three or four, maybe even five times in his career there. It's like I kind of want this. I I I feel like this, like you're saying, like this might be different than a Gulatson or or a Ward for sure. Where it's like, yeah, this is just a guy who's never really proven to anyone that he's anything other than like a, an amateur or like subpar at any level. And he might actually be like actually qualified to do this. And in yeah. saying that, like you know, going from the eight becoming going from NHL assistant coach to NHL full coach is a bridge a lot of guys can't cross so that'll be the next test to see if he can do it because again like then the one other thing like a lot of what he's saying is does ring true and sounds really good but I think I think what you're realizing with with NHL coaches and why there is such a um, you know, cause everybody like and I of course I think this is true. Like, oh, the old boys club is like, how many times is Peter Laviolette gonna coach another team in the metro, even let alone in the league? Like it's just this everybody, the retreads, like the same few guys, why doesn't anybody new get a chance? And I think I think that question's valid, but I also think that it's just it's really it's really fucking hard to be a coach in the national hockey, a head coach in the national hockey league. And it's really hard to be a good coach. And it's really hard to get results. And even when you do get results, it's such a fickle business. It's like, look at Calgary. Even we have two instances where our coach wins, wins coach of the year and is fired the next season like it's insane it is the hardest job in the sport and i don't even think it's close right like is a day to day you 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 get all you take all of the blame and get none of the credit when you win or lose it's just such a hard job so i think that's kind of why you see so many guys like go from not being able to make it either whether they're going from the AHL to the NHL or they're going from assistant to head coach it's just it's so hard it's so hard um, so having ideas and, and, and having philosophies in practice, I mean, that's great, but like then implementing them at the NHL level and getting the results out of your team that you need is like, that's a huge challenge. So it's like, now the real work begins for Husky. I was like, okay, dude, like, you, you want this job? Here you go. Like, this is, it's the hardest job. It's probably the hardest job in sports. Like, it's insane how hard it is for an NHL coach to, be an NHL coach and that's why you see you know guys get rehired all the time because it's like well he can at least do it so um that's gonna be a huge challenge for him and I hope he can do it but yeah I, th- I think he has the tools to do it but man saying thinking you can do it having the ideas to do it it's a lot different than doing it so we'll see
0: yeah I guess like it's like the Anakin Skywalker quote like yeah the fun begins like this is literally where we're at
1: like just wait until it's like game 56 in February or or January and it's like you have to push a group of 23 like multi-millionaire athletes to like win a game in Columbus on a Thursday night it's like that's tough and then you think that's tough then you get into like round one and two and three of the playoffs and it's just like it's just Man, it's a hard job. And like, hey, if you screw up, you're probably fired. You know that dream job you've worked your entire life for? Hey, two bad years, especially in Calgary. Two bad yeah. years, you're probably gone. And, yeah. and it's like, man, it's so much pressure and it's so hard.
0: And like, I kind of want to feel a little optimistic in, in regards to like the offense and the offensive capability that he could bring just because yeah. of the that He brought up when he was talking about that series with Colorado, how he straight up was like, we were fast. They were faster. That was the difference. Yeah. It's not. Oh, they were fast. Let's be let's be bold and slow. And
1: it's not what Bill Peters tried to do, which was like, oh, shit, we have to, you know, completely abandon our offense and just like clog up the neutral zone and not skate anymore. It's like it's not that.
0: If you can if if you can create a balance where the guys up front are able to play quick transitionally, yeah to generate, and then guys in the back end, when there's an opportunity to start transition, they can jump on it. and when you need to be tight defensively, they can do it, which in a perfect world sounds like the perfectly run team. But if you can get to even half of a success rate of managing both ends that way, we're probably going to have more success than not. So, dude,
1: if, if you played last season with this same team, like a million, like what's the, what's Dr. Strange in end game 14,605? If you played this season 14,605 times, like this would be the only one where all this crazy, insane shit happened, where we set all kinds of awful records for losing games by one goal or hitting posts or our best player having the worst drop off in NHL history or our Vesna nominated goalie. Dropping like 10 like into sub 900 save percentage points, like even <laughs> even a slight adjustment is, in theory, going to make this team at least a playoff team next year. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I agree. Like if he can make a few tweaks, and I mean the things he did mention t- tactically, um, I, I just listening to him do his like media circuit. I think he said it in the press conference. Just the things I picked up on most were, um correcting the big defensive breakdowns in the D zone which yeah i think that's i think that was kind of that's kind of part and parcel with with how sutter you know has had the flames playing in their own zone is like that really aggressive shot suppression try to keep shot volume down like suppress shots at all costs like get the puck back immediately play that kind of like five tight everywhere the puck is and try to get the puck back like, when you're doing that, and especially when you're not used to playing structured defense like that, if you're a guy like Weger, Huberto, or Dodger even, or any of the new guys, it's like, that leads to a lot of those, like, out of the blue grade A scoring chances, which, you know, if you watch the Flames this year, that's kind of what tended to happen. It was like, well, we outshot them, like, 50 to 10, but they had seven high-danger scoring chances, and we had five. That's weird. It's kind of like, I think that kind of, like, strict adherence to reducing shot volume did kind of lead to some, some big defensive breakdown. So I think if he can kind of fix that, I think that'll help. And I think like I was listening to him talk on a podcast interview from a couple, maybe a couple months ago or a month ago, you probably listened to it just mostly about the penalty kill and his thoughts about the penalty kill. And if you have, if, if, if you want to kind of get some glimpse into Huska's, Philosophies, I recommend you go listen to this. I think it's off the glass podcast or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he was just talking about like Vegas adjusting to Edmonton's power play in the playoffs and them just realizing that, hey, we can't be so aggressive against these guys because they're just going to, if we're aggressive, they're going to get that seam pass to Dry Settle and they're going to score every single time. So we kind of have to back off a little bit. And I mean, you know what? Now that I think about it in retrospect, I think that's probably kind of why the Flames did have such a hard time with the Oilers and probably with like really skilled teams over the last year and a half is that you know when you're playing that that low shot volume type of game and you're adhering to that and you're suppressing shots at all costs and you're just trying to get the puck back in the D zone is like when you're playing against really skilled teams who can make really skilled plays like McDavid and Drysdale can expose you on some of those plays if if you're being too aggressive and you know like that happened to the Flames so bad in that in that series against the Oilers and it happened a lot last year so I think if he can fix that, I'm glad he mentioned that because I think that was a was an issue this year. And then obviously, you know, I I know everybody is obsessed with the offensive side of it, five on five. I'm not as worried about that. I never had a big problem with that. I don't think the flames were that bad five on five offensively this year, as everyone claims. Like, sure, I know they favored shot the shot quantity over shot quality a lot, and they're you know like I know that's frustrating for people, but at the end of the day, like they ended up. They scored at like, I think a top 10 rate per 60 minutes at five on five in the league. To me, the big issue offensively was the power play, right? That was the biggest issue. And I heard that in in his second interview, he had like a big presentation. And one of the main parts was like trying to fix the power play. Oh, and Kirk Muller's not coming back. So the fact he was talking about, you know, Fixing the big defensive breakdowns and fixing the power play; those, you know what, those, (laughs) those are two big adjustments that need to be made. I don't think he's reinventing the wheel. Like again, like I think people get too bogged down in like because most NHL teams play pretty similar styles, right? With slight variations on what they do. So like removing Daryl and putting Husky in isn't going to like just change the the paradigm of how the Calgary flames play. I think he's going to carry over a lot of those same strategies and tactics with a few tweaks, but if he can, if he can fix those huge defensive breakdowns and, and, you know, sorry, I'm going on a total rant here, but it's like, even, I remember talking to Kevin Woodley, who was a goalie analyst, who was really close to the Canucks and with Jacob Markstrom specifically. And he was like, he was worried about Markstrom coming, like Sutter coming to the flames, um with markstrom and net because he was like yeah markstrom actually does better in a system that allows a lot of perimeter shots and allows him to feel the puck and and play the puck a lot a lot of low danger chances as opposed to like how the flames play which is like you're not getting anything but then that inevitably leads to some massive defensive breakdown sometimes and yeah we sure saw that this year right it was like he would let, like, man, oh, man. So hopefully that helps Marstrom as well. Hopefully that's more of, like, an upstream solution to the goaltending or whoever's in net. Um, But, yeah, if you can fix those huge defensive breakdowns and score, like, 10 more goals on the power play, you're going to be fine. And, I mean, that's the thing with Huberto, too, right? I don't think it was because... um Daryl wasn't like allowing him to do anything five on five. I think maybe part of that, but the biggest issue to me is like the power play was not allowing him to do anything. That I'm standing in front of the fucking net for like twenty percent of the, this get, the year on the power play. Like this is a guy who, what last five years up till now, only Drysidele and McDavid had more power play points than him. So that's that's I think will be a huge fix for Huberto because like let's say if Huberto has Let's say he finished the season with with 20 more power play points. You would you would have won the division with 20 more power play points from that guy. So um again, add those to the pros. I'm, I'm glad he addressed those things. Um, I think those will that was encouraging.
0: Technically, we won't really know until we actually start seeing the product. yeah. In regards to a somewhat of an emphasis on quality over quantity at both ends, like reducing quality chances against increasing quality chances for that should be the paradigm yeah what you're trying to achieve
1: yeah i think the possession game obviously i'm a big fan of that kind of game like i still think you see that that kind of like uh game that like carolina plays win out a lot of the time over over time um but i mean obviously you can't be putting up 600 shot attempts and having like five high danger scoring shots and i mean that does kind of reflect on on the personnel more so I think this year because they played the same way with Kadr and Kachuk and those guys leave and I think that was an underestimated factor as to why the flames weren't as good this year with that same system. But you have to adjust to the guys you have and they didn't really do that.
0: I do appreciate that they're both Conroy and Huska both seem to be very like honest and just
1: like <laughs> direct. Um you don't miss you don't miss the metaphors the mystic food metaphors about like milk and soup. Like, I, I do miss Daryl telling the media to piss off for sure, but I don't miss Brad like in his dumb word salad press conferences. I know, I know Daryl's press conferences aren't for everybody, but they sure were for me.
0: They were, yeah, they were honestly like the entertainment value in those things. Oh, yeah. Whether you loved or hated them, like, I would just sit there and be like, did he just say that? Like, light the lamp during the NHL playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can make a $5 bet and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467 in Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, must be 21 years of age or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See draftkings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com hockey terms. So I guess let's get into the rumors around Noah Hannafin.
1: Yeah, I just turned on Flames Talk this afternoon, and Steinberg was saying, like, from what he's heard, uh, you know, Hannafin is still unsure about his future in Calgary. And he didn't say it's a strong likelihood he will be traded, but he was he, the way he was described made it sound like, yeah, trade could very possibly happen, which kind of surprised me, to be honest, because I've kind of been leading that way about Lindholm. Like, I think everybody knows... It's been my feeling Lindholm's had one foot out the door ever since last summer. And this awful season was just the nail in the coffin. But Hanif it does surprise me a little bit.
0: Especially because like since he since he's gotten here, he's molded into a way better player than when he came in.
1: Oh, yeah. I remember that first year he was here. Yeah. And it was just like an absolute... Him and Travis Hammonick were like oh, just nightmare fuel every time they were on the ice. They were so bad defensively.
0: And I mean like Hannifin eats up a lot of minutes. And like I just wonder about what sort of return they would be looking at. Like I would hope that it's prospects and picks. That's like the r- normal rationale, but we're mm-hmm. also fans fans, so we can't expect that.
1: Um so Eric Goodbranson like, and Eric Goodbranson back and like <laughs> Boone Jenner or something.
0: Oh my god. Yeah, like I I'm just kind of worried about the gamble that it m- could perceive, because you're also banking on Shillington being right exact same form that he was yeah a year ago, and he hasn't played in over a year
1: yeah,
0: um, so yeah, I don't know i i i like Hannafin. I get that a lot of people it's like the tj brody shit like a lot of people like tj yeah. brody's game a lot of people were like oh god like get, he's get-
1: terrible yeah he's makes a huge mistake all the time
0: yeah like over a course of an 82 game season you're not going to be perfect there are going to be nights where you're going to look like a bonehead when you play 25 minutes a night like it's kind of entrenched in the rationale but um i don't know i guess we'll see what the return ends up being yeah.
1: I, yeah like I I like I've never been a huge Hanifin guy he's actually surprised me over the last few years and like I think having Daryl Sutter you know help him on the defensive side of the game has been huge for him um like I was never a believer you know like again watching him those first two years it was like this guy and everyone like, oh he hasn't hit his potential yet it's like he's played 400 NHL games when's he gonna hit his potential but yeah he has got incre- incrementally better like almost every single year probably um I think to me, like the only thing that I'm like, if, if he doesn't want to resign, then yeah, trade him. Or if he wants to resign and he wants way too much money. Yeah. Trade him because like, is he the third best defenseman on this team? Probably. I think we've kind of got to a point where we used to overrate him and now we're underrating him though. So it's like, I, I think it would be, no. And again, you can't just slot Shillington in there, even though I do think Shillington's good. It's like, that's always a, that's always a risky game, you know, to be like, oh, well, this guy's expendable now because this guy might be good. It's like, well, you never really know. And dealing 26-year-old defenseman is, you know, could be risky. My question is more like, I'm fine to do that deal if it makes sense for the team and they're doing it as a futures deal, you know, and not like, oh, we're going to make a lateral move, like trading Hanifin one for one for like a forward who's like 27, 28, 29, 30, you know, who can like come in and help right away next year. Like I'm not really interested in that. The flames need to get younger. They need to get players who are team controlled and cost controlled most importantly. So you want to be trading for somebody younger than Hannafin. Um, But my question is like, Kay, like I wish I was hearing more like, Hey, Chris Tanev is on the block or, or, or Tyler Toffoli is on the block type deals. You know what I mean? Because it's just like, of all you and I guess of all your trade assets, Hannafin probably is the most valuable. I understand that. But then he's also the most valuable to you. It's like I'd rather move out the older guys and then maybe try to keep Hannafin if if it were up to me. But if he doesn't want to sign, that's a different story. But you know what? Like I I just hope it's not like, yeah, we're trading Hannafin for a, a, making a lateral move and we're gonna be ready to roll next year with like another group of 27, 28, 29-year-olds. So you just hope they get somebody like like what did Provorov get? The Flames should be getting way more than what Philly got for Provorov. Because Hanifin's better than Provorov. His his current AAV is an absolute steal. If you're a contending team and you can slot Noah Hanifin into your into your lineup at under $5 million, like that's a huge that'd be huge. So he should get at least what at least more than what Provrov got. Like I look back and see what the Flames gave up for Hamonick. And it's like, you should probably be able to get a first and two seconds, at least for Noah Hannipin, if that's if that was the going rate for Travis Hamonick back in the day. So that's what I the kind of the, the market I'd be looking for. Um but yeah, I, I I would re-sign of all the guys they have on on the table to like possibly re-sign, he would be the one I would be most interested in retaining.
0: In regards to I guess now that we just brought it up, pending UFAs. Let's play a game called Trader Sign. I'm going to list all of them, and we're just going to label T's yeah. M- as, as predictions.
1: I've got a full T book right here. I'm doing all T's, I think. Lindholm. Trade. <laughs> Toffoli. Trade. Well, trade. You, yeah, trade. Hannafin. Like trade. Him. Well, it's, well re- I'll, I'll put him as my resign. Yeah. And of course, he's the one that's gonna get, traded, but, gonna
0: get dealt. Yeah. Um Backlund.
1: I, I would trade him, man. Tanev. I would trade him. Zadorov. I would trade him. And then Oliver Shillington, who you'll probably- I, will, I will resign him for sure. And like, I mean, I'll put asterisks on those guys. I don't know how you feel. Um, but I would put asterisks on like if Backlund wants to come back at a very fair number, it's just like you're never going to have an opp- better opportunity to get more for Michael Backlund than you are right now, you know? So maybe Backlund's the one who is like, hey, star, you're keeping him around because he's a lifelong flame and he, you know, he maybe is going to be the captain. If he wants to come back at a at a friendly deal, I'm fine with that. But I mean, Toffoli and Tana, to Toffoli especially, it's like, and I love the guy and he was absolutely phenomenal and losing him would probably be huge. It was like, is he ever going to play better than he played this year under a coach who has historically gotten the most out of him at age. What is he, 31? 32? He's never going to play better. And you're telling me a team like Carolina, who is like just saw that they need a, a, a legit goal scorer in the playoffs, wouldn't give you a nice, like, come on. That to me is, and, and Tan F2, it's like he has been a warrior and been way has earned his contract way more than I thought he ever would. But it's like, He's on the verge of falling apart. It's like, if anybody wants him for fair value, like, I would be trading him. Anything you can get for those guys at this point, I would be, because again, you're going to run into this problem is like, because everyone's like, oh, you can trade him at the trade deadline. Well, what if you're good again, right? Like you're, you're just setting yourself up for another scenario where it's like, oh, well, we can't trade those guys. And I mean, you don't have to trade everybody. Like Carolina is really good at this, right? It's like, they will use a player to his utility and then just let him go. But they don't do it with like everyone and all the core members of their team and then like not recoup assets. They can do that because they have a great prospect pool and a shit ton of draft capital and a lot of ways to fill those. The Flames don't have any of that. So it's like when you you, when you lose Goudreau, let's say you lose five of those guys and it's like then you lost Gio, Goudreau, DeFoli, Backlund. Zadorov, like, for nothing, like, that's not a recipe for building, which is what I I would hope, the, which is what they're claiming to be in a phase of is, is more of building. So, trade them all, trade them, trade every one of them. And I think, like, the hard part with that for me is, like,
0: there is no better time for you to potentially retool the entire yeah. future of your team than with the situation that is literally being handed to you on a silver platter in between with how deep this draft class is. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that half your team is expiring. And yeah, they're all big, big pieces. Like we lose Lindholm. Okay. That is marginally damaging for the next few years. Cause it's like, who's your top line center? You don't yeah. have one. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're just like, okay, let's just pray and hope that we don't get absolutely wrecked at the dot for two years. But opposite side of that is, what you would get out of a deal for Lindholm at. Yeah, exactly. 5. And they should be prioritizing adding more first rounders this summer. You 100%. I,
1: because you could have your cake and eat it too this year, because I think that's kind of the false dichotomy, the flames management and ownership. It's kind of creative where it's other kind of like go for it or rebuild. But then they never really do either. Like they never do what Vegas does. It's like, yeah, we're getting, we're going all out. We're getting Eichel. We're getting Stone. We're get, like, we're going balls out. We're going to do it. They don't ever really go all in. They just kind of say they want to make the playoffs, but then they never rebuild. It's like, you can do what Carolina does. You can do kind of what I think Colorado's done a really good job at is like both. You can do both at the same time. You can get younger and better for the future and get better right now, especially in today's NHL. It's like, you, the, it's funny, like, like look at, like, just an, kind of an example, maybe a bit of a lateral example, but it's like Nashville at the trade deadline this year. Like they trade everyone, and they'll they give all their kids some time to shine. And they were unbelievable. They almost made the playoffs. It's like you always kind of, like, overestimate. It's like, well, we can't lose to Foley. We can't lose to Foley. And then if you traded to Foley for, like, some prospects and, Put some of your own prospects in there they maybe could bridge that gap a lot faster than you think and then in two years time you're way further ahead than you would have been if you just kept them you can do both if you're exactly. smart
0: like what conroy alluded to in in his intro presser if the emphasis was to put more you know reliance on young guys and actually yeah. building through the draft which is something that clearly pissed him off i mean he released all of the guys we selected in 2021 <laughs> Like two weeks ago, and everyone. Yeah. Was, um, if that emphasis is there, this is literally like the path is wide open yeah. to do that this summer, which is why I'm having such a hard time being like, yeah, let's give Lindholm an eight year deal and then collect the Infinity Stones of 30 summer.
1: year old. Exactly. Like, now.
0: Yeah. Like, let's do that. Yeah. Like, I'm having a hard time. If Lindholm is giving you any indication, don't even wait till July first. What are you doing? Yeah. Wait till July first so that you can start the negotiation. If you have yeah. any sort of idea that he's not going to stay, the draft,
1: just do it. Yeah, you you don't have to choose one of. The, you don't have to be Chicago and just be like. You don't have to tank, right? Like smart. Like how has Boston made the playoffs like so many years in a row, or like how Colorado has built it, like. You look at that Duchene, like Lindholm could kind of make a Lindholm trade could maybe be like it probably would never work out as good as the Duchesne trade did for Colorado, but it's like they traded a core piece of their team and it turned them into a Stanley Cup, a perennial. Like it got them Kale, like was that the Bowen Byram trade? Did it get them Kale McCarty? I can't remember. The Matt Duchesne trade was just an absolute boon for Joe Sakic because he was doing both. He was like and I mean they were at a bit of a different crossroads, but. You can do both if you're smart about it. And I mean, if Conroy really means what he says, and I hope that he does, but if he like signs Lindholm to a huge $80 million deal, I'll have to question it a little bit. Um, But it's right. Yeah. Like you're saying the path that you claim you want to take is right there. You just have to, you just have to be brave enough to go down it. Right. You have to be like, yeah, we're trading Lindholm, you know? And I think that's maybe something Brad was never super good at because everyone's always ballsy. He was ballsy. It was like, well, he always kind of got into these situations that like forced him to make trades. He never made like a proactive trade. So he traded Dougie Hamilton because Dougie Hamilton didn't show up to the exit interviews and didn't want to be on the team anymore. You know, he traded Matthew Kachuk because he asked for a trade. Like all his big ballsy moves were like, you were kind of forced to do that. If you're Conroy, it's time to start being proactive and shaping this team into the team you want it to be. And I don't think any of us, want it to be a team where you're paying Huberto, Kadri, Lindholm and a bunch of 30-year-old, a bunch of players 30 combined million dollars into their 30s. Take action, Craig. Get on it.
0: Like, that. that's where I'm at, too. Like, it's not even that whenever people, you have these conversations with people they are like, why do you hate Lindholm? It's like, when did oh, I hate Lindholm?
1: I've been nailed to the cross for hating Lindholm because, like, I had the audacity to say, like, he's not as good as Johnny Goudreau. And it's like, yeah, I kind of think he's proven that with, like, how many times has he scored, like, his two best seasons were with Goudreau, and otherwise he's been, like, a really good player, but not a player I want to pay 10, like, what's he going to get? Nine Horvat money? He's going to get hor. he's going to ask, he's going to ask and probably deserve Horvat money.
0: I believe he can't do that. That's, like, that's the crossroads that I think it's going to be, yeah, now we'll, yeah, see how that's maneuvered, because, Business. that will tell us everything yeah whatever yeah. direction that the organization takes and by direction i don't mean rebuild or stay competitive i mean like mm-hmm. in terms of all nice personnel and the age bracket that you have guys locked up to that's going to determine the next decade of this franchise
1: really yeah like if you're going to lock yourself into like a san jose type situation if yeah. you if you do like say, oh, we can't lose these guys. We have to sign them. Like that's what you're setting yourself up for. Mm-hmm. And, hey, maybe you see returns next year, but you better, you better win the Stanley Cup. Otherwise, you turn into the San Jose Sharks, right? Yeah. Like man, and we we yeah, that's kind of what it was like this year. It was like we were all excited. We were like, who cares about the future, man? Because we're gonna win the cup this year. And then we stunk, and we were all kind of like, oh yeah, maybe we should have. thought a little harder about committing all this money to these guys yeah i mean
0: yeah it'll be it'll be very interesting to see how this is maneuvered i'm honestly a little worried yeah like i'm not gonna lie i'm kind of i like the more i hear about guys that are is this guy gonna stay is that gonna go they had that piece in the athletic like pure lebron was like all seven guys wanted out i'm like Okay, pause. I refuse to believe that Tafoli and Zadorov and Tanev are three of those seven. But yeah. the fact that we're even talking about four out of the seven is just insane. Yeah. Like, exactly.
1: And that they're mostly, they're all under contract for another year, too. Yeah. Importantly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: it's gonna be very interesting to see what transpires. I'm 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 pretty worried, but I guess I'm just gonna. Dude, wait.
1: at this point, I'm like, well, I'm worried that they're gonna stay the course and kind of just like do you know like sign Lindo. Not that that would be the worst thing in the world, but like I I'm worried they're gonna go the safe route rather than the route they should go, which is like fire sale. We're totally changing the direction of this franchise and how we do business like maybe craig pulls a rabbit out of his hat and like trades Markstrom and then signs lindholm hey i'd be into that sure
0: it's all about tap allocation where are you allocating your dollars exactly it's all it's all yeah if you're gonna pay lindholm eight and a half don't don't oh at least six million dollar goalie yeah that's that's where i'm at
1: like yeah i would not be the gm of this team use your xia i know well dude like brad just like it's so funny because like everybody was like when brad quit they're like oh he's gonna take a year off he was obviously just fed up with the ownership meddling is like he couldn't get away from this ship he was obviously what happened when he was like oh shit i better i better bounce before i have to deal with this (laughs) it's like yeah i feel you (laughs) for the first time brad i feel you
0: if you guys like the discussion feel free to hit the Like button, not subscribe button. Go check out the In the Dome podcast as well. But yeah, thanks for listening, everyone.